Hello and welcome to the third episode on the history of aviation. I've titled it Grace in the Air. Two elements from the start of aviation's pioneering days that offer an element of grace and elegance, and to a degree still do today, are women and airships. Women in the 18th and 19th century and at the start of the 20th century were almost forbidden to do anything more exciting than ride a horse or ride in a steam train when they came along in the early 1800s. Society frowned on them for doing daring activities, but some determined ladies ignored society and went and did what they felt they had to do or just wanted to do. As a result, women's experience of flying ran almost parallel to the men's attempts and achievements. Eight months after the Montgolfier brothers took flight in their balloon in 1784, Marie Elizabeth Teeble became the first woman to take to the air in an untethered aircraft. She went with Mr. Florent as his assistant in a balloon. They flew for 45 minutes, four kilometres, two and a half miles, and to a height of 1,500 metres, 5,000 feet approximately. First woman to go solo in a balloon was Jeanne Labrosse in 1798. She also became the first woman to parachute from a balloon that was made by her husband-to-be, Monsieur André Jacques Gunnerin, in 1799. In 1903, American socialite Ada Acosta became the first woman to fly a powered aircraft solo when she flew a dirigible airship in Paris. It belonged to Brazilian aviation pioneer Alberto Santos Dumont. Aviation was becoming really quite popular, and a group of countries, including the USA, France and the United Kingdom, had aviation clubs like the Royal Aero Club, and they created the Federation Aeronautique International to oversee development of sport flying as it was seen. Licenses for pilots were issued by respective countries of pilots concerned. The French and British licenses were recognised internationally after they were first issued in 1910. first woman to get her licence was a Raymond de la Roche. It was issued by the Aero Club de France and licenses then were only issued for commercial flying. A Harriet Quimby became the first woman in America to be issued with a licence in 1911. And in 1912, she became the first woman to fly across the English Channel. She, like a lot of early pioneers, died relatively young, but greatly influenced the role of women in aviation. Women in combat, certainly in the Western world, was almost unheard of. But a French woman, by the name of Marie Mavinct, was credited to be the first woman in combat during the First World War. She flew on bombing missions disguised as a male French officer. After the war, she qualified as a surgical nurse and was the first trained and certified flight nurse in the world and worked for the establishment of air ambulance services throughout the world. In 1928, Lady Heath, an Irish aristocrat, became the first person of either sex to fly an open cockpit aircraft from Cape Town, South Africa, to Croydon in South London. It took three months instead of the three weeks as had been expected. Other first she achieved were the first woman in Britain to hold a commercial pilot's licence, and the first woman to put parachute from an aeroplane. After the Cape Town flight, she took a mechanics qualification in the US and became the first woman to do so. In 1930, Amy Johnson took off from Croydon, South London, and flew solo to Australia, becoming the first woman to do so. She flew in a de Havilland gypsy moth she had named Jason. She later went on to fly for the Air Transport Auxiliary during the Second World War, ferrying aircraft around the country for the Royal Air Force. Alas, she disappeared on a ferry flight over the Thames estuary, with her body never to be found. In 1932, Amelia Earhart was the first woman to fly solo across the Atlantic. She later, in 1937, set off on a round-the-world flight with co-pilot Fred Noonan, but disappeared over the Pacific Ocean. Neither bodies have been found. It wasn't until 1964 that Geraldine Jerry Mock became the first woman to fly solo around the world. These female pioneers, along with their male counterparts, helped not only to increase the popularity of flying, 
but brought about many improvements, including regulation, which in turn assisted with safety. And aviation is now seen as the safest form of transport today. After the hot air balloon was invented, a variation on a theme was created, the airship. There are different forms of airship, whereas the balloon relied on hot air heating the envelope. An aerostat is a balloon using gas that is lighter than air in a sealed envelope giving its buoyancy, but they could be powered or tethered. Balloons that were steerable and powered are referred to as dirigible, whereas the term balloon has been reserved for tethered or free-floating craft. As with fixed wing, there have been many developments in the early days of these aircraft. The first balloon to be fitted with a hand-turned propeller was by Jean-Pierre Blanchard in 1784, and he also flew the English Channel in a balloon fitted with wings and a bird-like tail in 1785. It was not until 1852 that Henri Gifford became the first person to make an engine-powered flight in a steam-powered airship when he flew 17 miles or 27 kilometres. The most famous type of airship are the Zeppelins, and the first one flew in 1900. Zeppelin has been a colloquial expression used on airships ever since. Airships even attempted the first polar flights in 1907 and 1909 and across the Atlantic in 1910 and 1912. During the First World War, Germans used Zeppelins as bombers and scout aircraft and they carried out some of the first bombing raids over the Britain. After the war, Germany donated Zeppelins to other countries as means of reparations. Then the Locarno Treaty of 1925 lifted the restrictions on Germany constructing any further Zeppelins. These then, in essence, conquered the world. One even circumnavigated the globe without passenger injury. They became known as the ocean liners of the sky, with similar grace in movement like the great ocean liners. They had the luxury amenities like, like the liners too, including private cabins and observation decks. They took less time to cross the Atlantic compared to the liners. However, there's a lot more involved working with an airship, especially a number of the crew. Sometimes the crew outnumbered the passengers. Luxury travel by large Zeppelin airships unfortunately came to an end in 1937 when a Zeppelin named the Hindenburg came in to land at Lake Coast, New York and burst into flames. These and the early airships contained helium, which is highly flammable. Airships nowadays are generally filled with helium, which is far more inert. With the Second World War, Germany saw the airships as obsolete, but the US employed them with their navy in successful anti-submarine patrols. There was a break of 44 years before the US Navy started using airships again. There is a small number of airships that are flying. They are used in broadcasting, advertising and passenger sightseeing. Even the Zeppelin has been started again, albeit a lot smaller from those from the 1920s and 30s. Some airships have been developed to carry cargo. One has been developed in the UK at Cardington, home to Britain's largest but ill-fated airships of the pre-war period. History may be repeating itself, we will have to see. However, these new airships are environmentally more efficient and amongst the largest aircraft in the world. The other day I spoke to a German friend of mine and she mentioned a female aviation pioneer by the name of Ellie Bainhorn. And I looked her up and there's some interesting information. Against the will of her parents, she completed her flight training in 1929, but she had to start her career as an aerobatic pilot. Despite a bumpy start, Beinhorn was quickly able to make a name for herself thanks to her enormous ability. She also wanted more out of flying than just flying rehearsed choreographies. This breakthrough came in 1931. Equipped with a map of Africa and a bottle of cognac to beat the cold, Beinhorn found herself in a cockpit of a Clem K-25, 
Her destination, Balama in Guinea-Bissau on the west coast of Africa. The 70-hour long flight, outbound flight, went largely according to plan, whereas her return flight almost cost her her life. On her way back, an oil pipe burst, forcing her to make an emergency landing somewhere in the middle of the desert. She was lost for four days. She survived with the help of the nomadic Tureg tribesmen when she joined a camel caravan to Timbuktu. She subsequently returned to the crash site to recover parts of the plane. Word of her plight then reached the French authorities and they sent a military two-seater plane to collect her. In April 1931, fully recovered, she was able to fly herself back to Berlin to a warm reception from the crowds. Further flights and adventures for Ellie included the trip to Australia via means of Persia, Mount Everest and Bali. Arriving in Australia, she became only the second woman to fly solo from Europe to the other side of the world. By now, she had become friends with people like Amelia Earhart, and she herself had even set up, set off on a world flight before circumnavigating Africa in 1933. She also did another flight through Central and South America between 1934 and 1935. This was the heyday of aviation expeditions. Not many more objectives could be achieved. Aircraft or aviation just developed. Aircraft got faster and more technical. Aviation also opened up the world to everyone, but unfortunately at a tremendous cost.